Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. This is episode number 30. Now, for those of you watching, you're probably wondering, Vaughn, who is this homeless man that you've got on your podcast? It is not a homeless man. It is the one and only Ali Burge, our new coach to the team. Um, Ali, how are we doing, buddy? Good, mate. Good. How are you feeling? I'm doing well. I'm doing all right. Two days out. Um, just excited. But I think that Today, less about me, more about you. Um, so I think that for people that don't know much about Ali, maybe been on his Instagram page, um, but for those of you that are still wondering, you know, well, number one, they're probably wondering why you've got a haircut like a hobo, but two, they want to know a bit about you. So can you give people uh, a brief introduction to who Ali Burge is, talk about your career um, from all those sort of kettlebell days, give listeners a bit of an insight? So I am... Uh online physique coach and a one-to-one uh, personal trainer. I've been working in the industry for roughly the same time as you, uh, maybe a little bit longer. Um, as Vaughn says, back in the kettlebell days, when we had no knowledge, but got people to do things that were a little bit out the box, I would say. Um, I'm, so I've been working in the industry for over five years, um, but the last couple of years, um, obviously my progression with business has been a lot better results have been better and now i work with like yourself same brand we work with more people who are higher level people who want to compete photo shoot or just get themselves into an elite shape um my career has just kind of staggered through the industry and then as i begin to began to take it more seriously it's then snowballed from there um, I also compete in men's physique, and I am type 1 diabetic. Awesome. And like for those of you that don't know, Ali got me a job at Pure Gym. I still remember um, putting my suit on, and he opened the door. And I'm wondering, who, <laughs> how the fuck is he working here? Because me and Ali went to school together. Now, I know that I look a lot younger, and I'm a lot better looking than he is, so <laughs> it might be hard to believe. But um, he got me that job. And when we first started working in Pure Gym, you know, we both believed in, um, you know, starvation mode, right? And we walked about the yeah. gym and we told people about that. We said, look, this is a thing and this is why you're not losing calories. Um, and then we ran a boot camp. What year was that? Oh, that was five years ago. Yeah. Two, actually, I think it was 2014. Was that six years ago? And, and we called it Beach Body Boot Camp. And to be fair... It was really successful at the time for the knowledge that we had. Very good. Because we just worked with anyone and everyone. And because of the knowledge we had, that was the results that we got. But I'd say we marketed to them pretty well. But from my end, I would say that I've seen a lot of trainers come and go over the years, specifically in Pure Gym. And there haven't been many that have leveled themselves up as much as Ali has in regards to his own physique, his results with clients, but also his business. So, I mean, how many trainers would you say we've seen come and go from Pure Gym in the past five years? Like, I'd say our industry must be one of the biggest drop-offs out of any because you see people come and go. You also see people come into the industry and they do okay and they just stay there for countless years. So... A lot, like thirty plus, yeah, maybe, yeah, like that. And that's the thing, right? So I always said, if I was, you know, we were, I think we were at the the muscle mentors last year, and someone asked on your story, it was like, oh, what, what do you see yourself guys doing in the future? And I was like, well, whatever we're doing, we'll probably do something as a collab and, and do it together because, you know, going from a boot camp days and everything over the years. Let's say, for example, I'd have a client on a leg extension, and Ali would like run over with his client's photo and be like, one. I've just, I've just loaded her, what do you think about this? And I said, oh, well, it's a bit flat there, or this, that, and the next thing. But it was good to have that sort of environment. But I think less of the talking about us and more sort of talking about the idea of today's podcast, which was a little bit of an introduction about who Ali Budge is, but also type 1 diabetes. And a lot of people out there probably don't know what type 1 diabetes is. They know what type 2 is. So before I ask you to sort of give the listeners an idea of how you manage it, probably best we talk about exactly what it is so yep. can you give people an idea of what type 2 is and I can discuss the differences between type 1 yeah so type 2 diabetes um, tends to be brought on by 
for the most part, unhealthy habits, so um, weight gain, things like that. Also, just getting older can sometimes uh, affect it, but it can be controlled via diet, exercise. Also, occasionally you have to use pills and stuff like that, but it's it's very easy to manage. Um, whereas, so it's brought on just by poor life choices, I suppose. Whereas type one diabetes, you can say you, you can say obesity, Ali. It's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, obesity is, is the highest. Thing. Type two diabetes is also one of the um, highest things in the UK. Like it's a very high rate of people um, getting it. So obesity. You have to be over a certain level of body fat to get it. But, there you go. There you go. Um, that's brought on, as I said, by lifestyle. Whereas type one, as Bono going to the so physiological. I mean, di- diabetes itself, right? You need to know that obviously we we take on more food and that food is digest digested into glucose. Now, within our blood, that glucose needs to be up regular uptaken into muscle cells or fat cells. Now, insulin will do that. It's simply a hormone. Now. T- like insulin itself is released from the pancreas. Now, Ali being a type 1 diabetic, his pancreas doesn't produce insulin, right? It's, it's nada. So if he was to just not take any, his blood sugars would just go all the way up. Or if he wasn't to eat, they'd just come all the way down and he'd die, right? Whereas someone that has type 2, they still their pancreas will still produce insulin, but the problem is that their cells become desensitized to it. So they can't uptake it as regular or as efficiently as need be. So hence why when we reduce body fat, it can often see an increase in sensitivity and not often cure type 2. But in Ali's case, which is only I think 5% of total diabetics case type 1, you'll always be on insulin for the rest of your life. Is that right? Yeah, well, unless they come up with some uh, new cure, but there's not been much changes in the last 30 years or so. The thing is with the, what you said there, um, the insulin sensitivity, it's it's quite similar to people on gaining phases. If you've pushed them for quite a long period, um, occasionally insulin sensitivity, and they're not going to be obese, but there'll be a little bit higher body fat can start to um, become less responsive. But in general, type 1 diabetes, it's a far harder thing to live with. Um, and... <laughs> Although it's one of the, it's got the most amount of uh, money put in it for research. It's quite difficult to find any sort of new things for it because it's such a difficult thing to work with. Yeah, so I guess that's a good place to start. People are thinking, right? Well, okay, you you have to control your blood sugars. What does that mean? Because there'll be some people that have no idea what diabetes is. So the ones that are listening that want to make sense of it all, what do you have to do on a daily basis? To make sure that you don't your blood sugars don't go up and they don't come too far down. Okay, so the the easiest way to look at it is um, with yourself. Everyone's had that thing where they start to feel a bit hypo, even if you're not diabetic. But as a diabetic, you need to check your sugars. So I currently wear a constant blood sugar monitor, which I scan on my phone, which is a lot easier. It makes control a lot better. Yeah, that'll tell me what my sugars are. Then if I'm going to eat, I will then give myself a bolus. So type 1 diabetic people will either inject or I wear an insulin pump just purely because it's easier and also I'm not having to inject 10, 12 times a day on a gaining phase. Mm-hmm. With that, it's just done, you then control it. So you'll know if I'm taking in 100 grams carbs of ha- carbohydrates, I will take 10 grams of insulin. For, that's the generic advice. Um before I had the constant uh, blood glucose monitor, I just used, um, like, you prick your finger. You've probably seen people do it before. Um, the problem with that is people don't like pricking their finger and they don't like doing it in public. So it, it, with diabetes as well, it can be, there's a bit of a stigma around it. A lot of diabetic people are a bit embarrassed, I suppose. And, and why do you think that is? I think it's because, like, when I was younger, the question you always get asked is, can you eat this? So are you allowed to eat chocolate? Are you allowed to eat sweets? And I think as well, people just associate the word diabetic. So they think type two and type one are the same thing. So people will say, oh, but you're not overweight and you're diabetic. So I think people just get a bit embarrassed. Um, Also just depends on probably how you grew up with it. Like 
you'll see the difference in two diabetics, the people who will eat in a restaurant and they'll just inject sitting at the table or the people who will excuse themselves to, to go away. But I think it's just a bit of like, in, in society, no one really wants to be different because okay. it brings about questions. So I think that is the main reason. It's one of the hardest things to coach on as well. Yeah, and I think obviously you do you do quite a good job with it. But we were to speak about sort of managing blood sugars, right? Now, people will be thinking, right, so what if it goes too high and what if it goes too low? So I guess, again, that's a good thing for you to elaborate on because I, I've seen when you went too low um, and then I've seen the, seen the opposite, too high. So if you can start by saying, right, let's say you've injected your insulin or something's happened and blood sugar start running low, tell someone what it feels like when just before that hypo or perhaps... Get, you know, give us an idea of what it's like having a hypo and what it's like so, after. So the, the reason it's quite difficult is, um, so the easiest way to describe it would be my sugars from a perspective of the NHS standards run very well. But that means I'm more susceptible to low sugars because I will drop lower rather than someone spiking up. But when you go into a hypo, which people who aren't diabetic can get, but they won't go into a full hypo, they will just feel a bit groggy the easiest way to describe it is it's like you've got a plastic bag over your head that you can't see through so you can you in your brain you still know what you're doing but you you're seeing things in a blur and then obviously you get sweaty you can also go into a fit but that would be in a full hypo and the reason it happens to a lot of people is they don't have um awareness of it or for people like ourselves that train, training very hard can pull you into one very quickly. So it basically feels like the lights are on, but no one's home. And I can really relate to that. I remember, I mean, if those of you who don't know, I've known Ali, worked with Ali for five, six years now. And there was about three or four occasions when I worked at Pure that you had them. And there was one where, I think I was training with Dave and... Susan came running through and she went, Von Von, come here, come here, and ran down and you went, you ran into their office and you couldn't, you couldn't remember who I was. You kept yeah. saying like, who are you? And what you'd go from being really, really aggressive to then next thing you were greeting and then next thing you were totally fine and then you were lying on the floor. It was kind of like, well, what the fuck's going on? And then after it, it was like you'd been hit by a bus. Yeah, it's, I suppose the, the way to look at it would be You've got your fight or flight, so your body's smart. It either wants to fight or run. In that sense, your body doesn't know you're having a hypo. It just knows that something's wrong, so that that red flag's coming up. So your body either tries to fight whatever's beside you or it tries to run, and it can be very difficult. With that as well, Like one of the things I will say is, as a type 1 diabetic, even if you are perfectly controlled, there's always going to be this will happen to everyone and that's what can be hard about it i think that's why people become a little bit almost shy about it it's quite a difficult scenario um as von will tell you yeah when you have a well when you have a hypo as well the next day it almost feels like you've been boxing for 14 hours because your muscles contract very hard harder than you could ever contract in a workout so your recovery is all over the shop now, what if we go the other way? Because how often have we spoke that you know you've woke up, and you know your sugars were up at like thirty, and yeah. you're sweating. So it's quite dangerous going low, but equally, how dangerous dangerous is it for them to go too high? So, in case my consultant is watching this, my sugars never go to thirty. <laughs> but there are, are odd times. So, like a few weeks ago, my insulin pump fell off when I'm sleeping. My insulin pump secretes insulin. So I woke up and I was around 20, which is high. That's that's dangerous. Now, the difference would be this. A hypo, you can't die from. You're having a fit if, you weren't, if there was no one there. But you'll just wake up being sore. Whereas if you go the opposite way and you go really high, it's called a TK. I can't even remember the actual technical name. But it's very bad for you because that can cause um, damage to your brain, eyes, for males, it can cause damage to your 
war region, <laughs> which is always which is always a good way um, if I'm coaching a young male because I think it's a good way to make it more serious. But what happens there is when it goes so high, you just feel so sluggish that you it's very difficult to do anything. Um, and that's where most people struggle with. Uh, in terms of diabetics I've ever worked with, not many will go low, but a lot will go high. And the problem with it is, if you're running at a high rate for a long period of time, that you can get go blind. That's the extreme, but people have to get laser on their eyes. If you're 30 and you're getting laser on your eyes as a male or a female, that's not very helpful. So um, it will start to damage your body. Um, and that's where... Um, type 2 diabetics, because they're not as insulin sensitive, their sugars will be a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, it's easier to manage because you just take a big bolus of insulin, but when I go above 14, I start to feel pretty crap, and some people's sugars literally sit at 14 all day long. So you can imagine their productivity is nada, yeah. which makes it very hard. 100% now. I can, that kind of speaks to people's inter-individuality of... Some people think that feeling shit all day is the norm, whereas you are really, really superb at controlling your insulin usage and also changing it depending upon whether you're bulking or whether you're, you're dieting, right? And for people that are... You know, go back to the start of the podcast, remember that, you know, if we speak about what insulin does, shuttles, nutrients into cells, well, as Ali has more muscle mass and bit more body fat his insulin usage might change so can you sort of talk us through give us an example of how many say for example units you'll use on a bulk versus a diet phase um, and and why that might be in it if not i can kind of go into that yeah so my insulin pump um the ampule goes in it holds 300 units so i'm on the bigger ones some people will be on 1.5 on a gaining phase I will probably go through one every three to four days, um, just due to the fact that my food's very high, my food's about 5,000 calories just now, and on a lower body day, I'm taking in 800 grams of carbs. So I'll be going through a lot of insulin, also the fact of my body fat's a bit higher, so I'm not as sensitive to insulin. Where it becomes difficult, and this is where people really struggle, so Vaughn just said their insulin helps to shuttle nutrients into the cells. Now, if you've got a decent amount of body, uh, a muscle mass, which I do, when you eat post-workout, I could eat 150, 200 grams of carbs. The amount of insulin I need will be minimal compared with if I was just eating that and sitting on my backside. And that's where people struggle because they don't understand that energy or carbohydrates are what your body uses to fuel it. So... If you're training really hard, you don't need as much insulin, and that's where it gets risky. So you need a lot of insulin on a gaining phase. When I diet, and this is where, again, people struggle, and you've probably worked with this in the last year, people don't know how to tailor it. So when when I diet down, my last six weeks or so of dieting, when I'm nearly there, I basically need no insulin. Like, I'll go through a 300ml ampule in a week rather than three days, maybe even longer, because every bit of food you eat is either going towards training, so contracting your muscle, moving you, or just getting your brain to work. So none of the carbs are really focusing on spiking sugars because it doesn't have a chance to. And that's what's really hard with dieting diabetics because they get so scared to pull insulin down because yeah. they're used to it. They, they've done it their whole life. So when you start to then diet them down, they they freak out a bit. So you literally, like I'll use my, use my client Luke for an example. Um, his sugars weren't getting started, they're far better now. But when he was dieting, he was like checking in twice a week, three times a week, and he was saying, I'm doing one shot insulin in the morning and none the rest of the day. Whereas before he was maybe doing eight. And that can be a bit like a bit of a freak out, but it just shows you that having more body fat, your body's not as efficient. Yeah. And I think and you you'll maybe had this as well. Um one of my clients, Amy, she this ha- this was like happening for a good two or three week period. She would message me, she kept sending screenshots of her sugars and she'd be like, Oh, so I ate here to spike 
to spike my sugars. But like, I'm like, wait, why are you doing that? She's like, oh, I'm just following the NHS guidelines. If it drops below this, I must have extra carbs. And I went, throw them in the bin. Like, we are trying to take you to extreme body fat levels of, uh, low levels of body fat, and you become more sensitive, and you don't, those guidelines become somewhat, not irrelevant, but you, it needs to be more specific to the individual, and that's where you came in, um, I had said something to her, and then you sort of backed up it word for word what I said, she lowered our background usage, and, and sugars have been fine ever since, but I guess if you've been so reliant on that for years, something in your brain kind of goes, oh, but I don't want to die, so I'm just going to keep doing it, but I think, and this is why this is a good idea for an episode, having someone like yourself come on who's managed them for years to say, listen, on about three ampules in three days or whatever, and then in a week when I'm dieting, not even that. Um, yeah, like, I think with that, like, hats off to the NHS, like, they're, they're very good with diabetes. Shout out to my consultant, <laughs> Professor McCrimmon, who is actually, like, he speaks in... A different language he's so smart with it but i've spoke to him about it and i've spoke to clients about it the issue with it is i'm not you i'm not my client look everyone's a body will process stuff different your stress levels will spike your insulin your sex drive if you're about to have sex your blood sugar tends to spike and all these things if you're not used to it it becomes very daunting because even in the dieting phase, if I was having low low days where carbohydrates were low, my sugars would go up a bit. Now, it's purely because you've not got much energy, so what's your body do? It secretes glycogen. It, secre- it starts to use fuel to then move you. So your sugars would go up, and I'd be thinking, I'm not eating ages here. But that's the sort of time where it's just about knowing, because you're not going to shoot insulin there, because you'll just plummet. Um so it is a very like person-dependent thing. The other thing about it which I find fascinating is everyone's ability to process certain carbohydrates is totally different. Yeah. So for me, white rice needs a lot more carb, uh, a lot more insulin than if I, to, I was to eat the same amount of carbs from Cocoa Pops. And there is probably a reason behind it. I don't know why, but every carb will be different for someone. I mean, the basmati rice is going to be like a bit lower lower GI than the Cocoa Pops, isn't it? So it's not going to spike yeah. it as much. So be like... Well, even to use two lower GI, like oats and basmati rice, right, okay. basmati rice, I'll need a, yeah. a fair bit more Which, insulin. But it's really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Because I've never... I don't think we've ever really... We've probably spoken about it before, but not, not overly as much. So, I mean, how you you yourself probably know quite a few people with type 1 diabetes. How often do you see people that want to make a change in their physique, but are just like, they come to you, or you discuss it, and they're just fucking terrible at blood sugar management? So, and all, my honest answer is, I would say 98% of them. I, my client Jess, who I trained, she's from London, um, she's dieting them just now, she, um, she's good at controlling her sugars, um, which is great, I think, I think it could be a few things, so, my mum was a, a midwife and a nurse so she was very on top of my sugars so that when I grew up it was just about it was just routine but also we are both bodybuilders so what you're very like I know what I'm eating when what I'm doing I know to check my sugars whereas if you've not done that before it, it's a lot of like think about it when we work with gem pop people and you say right you're going to track all the food you eat and you're going to go to the gym three times a week. And they're like, what? That's a lot. So it's the exact same with diabetics. If you, if they've been testing their sugars twice a day and you tell them to do it 10, people are just like, oh my God, this is a lot. Yeah. So especially with, I think, and also it's the burying your head in the sand sort of thing. If I don't know what's happening, it's not happening. Yeah. That happens a lot. So you might say to someone, your control's pretty bad, but have you never addressed this? And they'll go, nah. But when you say to them, if they're a young male and you say, well, if your control's really bad, it can affect your ability to have kids. And they'll go, what, really? But when they hear that from someone, I'm 29, who's probably more relatable to them than a consultant, it's a bit scarier. Yeah. Whereas when you hear from a consultant, they're just some man in a suit who's really, really smart. So 
I think it can be the two things I think definitely affect are fear. Like people are genuinely scared that they can never control it. Right. And the the problem with that is if you've had ten years not being able to control it, it, it feels like you're in a bad place. Whereas you'll know when you work with people, after you've helped them for six, seven months with all their habits, their control gets far better. Yeah. Yeah, so what, that what one's really hard. Um, I think the NHS a little bit. So it's NHS guidelines are great for the general population, but they're not great for results. Right. So that can be hard for people. Yeah, because at the end of the day, that's all they've ever known. And then they come to you or a trainer and then the trainer goes, oh yeah, we're changing this. And they kind of go, well, the NHS told me that I need to do this, so I'm going to stick with it. And there can maybe be that fear of, not wanting to pull away but I think because you are so relatable to a lot of young guys um, here's a story for you right you remember this Ali when I used to do one-to-one coaching I was working with uh, a type 1 diabetic and I was speaking to you about him and I had him in for a session now I don't know if you were on prep or you're having a bad hair day maybe you couldn't get your the gel sitting right in your hair but you kind of joined in our conversation and the guy went, oh, you know, I don't really manage my sugars and I don't check because, you know, life's, life's for living. And you turned to him and you just went, life's not really worth living when you've not got any legs, mate, and you're blind. And you just walked away <laughs> and you just left us in the session. And you know what? It was the best thing you that, that could have been said to him that day because it, it came from yourself. And from there on out, I'm not saying that everybody needs that tough love, but from there on out, his, his sugars were brilliant. But I just thought it was a good example that... I think for people, it's that thing of... And, and we all get to it a lot. So someone inquires to do a photo shoot, but the first thing they say is, hey, I want to do a photo shoot, but... And there's always a but. And I think it's the same with sugars. Or it could be anything if you've got very bad asthma. It's almost like, how do I take my... I know it, I know it can be done, but I don't think I can do it. And that's why I'd always say to diabetics, if you're getting a coach, you want to prep, you want to um, do a photo shoot, anything like that, you want to win a show, choose a coach who can break down the mechanisms of it, if you are diabetic. Because a lot of coaches are very good, but they won't know much about that. So you need someone who can help you with that. Because stress will really impact your ability to control your blood sugar. And it just becomes a never-ending cycle. Yeah, but that, the other the other thing the thing is very hard about it, and I think this is the like my mates will tell you my sugars are really really good, but they still drop from time to time. So if you imagine if your sugars aren't really good, there's a lot of times a week where you are not feeling great. Yeah. So it can be really hard. Your momentum just gets a whack. Yeah, and and I think that before I forget to to give someone an idea of you mentioned about guys. Um, downstairs not working very well reason with is with diabetes we get poor uh, peripheral blood circulation or blood circulation to your peripheries such as your you know your main man so if blood flow doesn't get there those blood vessels will will die off which yeah. we can then lead to male impotency there, there's a fancy word for you on a friday morning right um so any guys listening Take note of that, please, and that should be one of your sort of main things. I, I would hope, or uh, give you a kick of the ass to start managing your blood sugars. But also, this is the one thing I say as well, is that insulin itself is superb because it shuttles nutrients into our muscle tissue, right? And I've always said to you, I think the reason one of your abilities to add tissue, it is because you train fucking hard and you know you're you're consistent, but is because you manage your sugar so well. Mm. You know, you, you have this ability to, to just know exactly where it is, how to sort it. Whereas someone like myself, it's not checking my sugars as regular as I probably should if I wanted to gain an extra 1%. Um, I'm maybe not digesting it as well. You know, I'm maybe not shuttling it into muscle as efficiently or as quickly as I could. So um, that was just a little rant. But I also think that if you want to try and take advantage of you know, it, it's well evident that bodybuilders will take extraneous insulin to try and get yeah. large amounts of food, right? That That's very common within the industry. Exactly what, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, the, other, 
the other thing I think that so I didn't do this on prep and I know for next year I, I should and it's something obviously we do we still do now but like intro workout or pre so obviously remember when I was prepping I was just fasting through workouts yeah. but I think we're diabetics get really scared to taking a lot of carbs as they train but my sugars do not spike because the carbs going in one they're taking a while to digest but they're just getting utilized so it's an amazing and as you say post-workout with your big bowls of carbohydrates you want the carbs going in to help you recover build tissue so it's going to bring it in you can you've almost got to step up because i can take a big bowls of insulin so people should utilize that more yeah yeah but they just don't know about it yeah and that sort of takes us on to our next point which we can we can discuss your prep last year and we'll get into what you're like on prep but let's keep it on the the sugars base now talk us from your end what your sugars were like on peak week and in the lead up to and on show day and then i'll talk you through what it was like from my experience in regards to coaching you so so the entire prep we will go into the actual prep after this but as i was going um i'd say five weeks out my sugars were just so stable like um so i tend to have a little bit of a spike in the morning but on prep like only a little bit on prep just so stable totally fine then we get to a week before the first show and even if you don't know it i'll tell you all this but you will be stressed internally. You don't know you are, but you are. My sugars just were everywhere. Yeah. No matter what we tried, sit down more, don't do as much, relax. But they're everywhere. Then come show day, and Vaughn will know this as well. If I check in on the morning and my sugars are pretty stable, I'm looking tight. If there's a day that they're a little bit higher, you will look a little bit washed out. But what happens when you look washed out? You stress more. So the week running up to show, and also you've got to remember that myself and Vaughn hadn't experienced that before. So it's a, it's a learning process. We've both got notes on it. But it was really interesting. And taking a step back from being a competitor and being a coach, it's really interesting to see what happened. So my sugars were doing this. Yeah. And how I looked was doing that. Yeah, it was. And like from my end, by that point, like... I was seeing Ali with his top off every day and he was sending me photos and he would check in, let's say he was five days out and I'd be like, we look fucking good here. And then the next day he's four weeks out and he looks, not not shit, but compared to the day before, shit. And I go, what the fuck's he done? But then <laughs> b- before I, I've said that, you've messaged saying my sugars are way high. So then I'm kind of like, right. As a coach, you kind of need to know what to say to calm someone down. And often, if you're if you're a decent coach, your words should and they will calm someone down. They make them feel good. Um, so we were totally fine. And then we did obviously four shows, but the one in particular I'm thinking of was the UKBFF one. I think it was the first one. You woke up and I think your sugars were okay. You were pretty tight, but I think they were a little bit high, so we didn't eat. We sort of just left it, and as the day went on, you checked in three hours later. You just look, you look great, and I was like, right, what's your sugars like? You're like, right, they're stable. All right, cool. Let's put a little bit in, and you know, just so you can get a bit of a pump on. Did that. Checked in again two hours later because you were on quite late. Same thing, but you looked better. I went right, cool. Get them in. However, the next time you checked in, I was like, this is perfect. Do not eat at all. And you're like, Vaughn, I'm going like, to go a hypo. I need to eat. And I'm like, I'm like that. no, <laughs> no, don't. But you're kind of like, well, you have to. It, you know, like, and it's a case of you've prepped for like 14, 16 weeks. And then because, the, as you said, the closer you get to the show, naturally adrenaline's up, spikes your sugars. You're freaking out because, one, you know you're going to look a little bit worse. But two, you're like, I can't go hyper. So you have more insulin thinking that it's you know dietary related when it's stress related and then yeah. it, it's not but then that was a learning curve for us to be like right next time although we run high like 
it's it's hard to know where the the sort of meat in the middle ground is because we're like right if it runs too high we look shit, but we can't like we can't put pump in loads of insulin because we'll come too far down and we'll need to put more in and we're gonna look softer. Yeah, it's that it's the thing of what's very difficult about it as well is so if my client looked competed and the shows he done he looked good but I played it quite safe in terms of his load. And then he did a shoot two weeks later and he was a kilo and a half heavier. But he looked so much better. And that's because, one, you're not as stressed in a shoot. It's quite a chilled thing. But two, we'd, I just I knew by that point how to load him. And that's what can be very difficult to, with it. Cause with, Took us four with, attempts. <laughs> yeah, with normal people, you load them, you do a trial load and you know what works. But... You've not got to take into consideration of their blood glucose because it'll be stable enough. As soon as you get someone to a show and they're diabetic, they could not eat all day and their sugars could go really high because adrenaline. And the problem with adrenaline is it'll tend to just come back, your sugars will come down because it's almost a false spike. And with the UKBFF, what actually I presume happened was they've got a different posing uh, routine that I didn't know. Because I wasn't meant to be competing at it. We, We just done it because... I was there, um, and also the fact of I got turned up at 9 a.m. and I wasn't on stage till 8, yeah. 8 p.m. So I was just sitting on my ass doing nothing. So those all come in, but as you say, every load from there worked better. Yeah, it, it did. And how we, like the best look we had was your last PCA show where we sort of front loaded you, you could call it. We had a like a high day, um. So the show was the Saturday, so I think we had your pretty high day on the, um, like moderate carb load Wednesday, high day Thursday, and Friday was just back to baseline, and then the Saturday like that was the best look. It was better than UKUP, and I think that moving forward now because we've done that, we'll know, and then you just won't be as stressed, because you'll just be like right. We'll, we're going to front load or failing that what you can do is just not load and just have consecutive higher days than was baseline the week before and then just naturally you, you know you don't need to have this excess of six seven eight hundred grams of carbs on that one day yeah and also i don't think we pushed fat too high we could probably that could go up next yeah, year but i um, never I, even thought of that I, I will say as well i'm sure i can ping up a photo of me on stage at the pca um, it was the best I looked. The feedback was that I'm just not a men's physique guy. So yeah, um, yeah, what will happen when you're, what? when you're 50 kilos heavier on the winner? Yeah, but the thing is, and that's it, right? Next year or, or whenever we do it again, we're just not going to. You're not going to do men's physique. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, I, I reckon that you could do. You maybe class three. But uh, yeah, that that'd be warm ups. Like, there's no reason to say why you couldn't do classic physique. You've been yeah, a short. You've been a short dudes category. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm class D, you're class A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but in saying that as well, I think that the one thing about yourself is your head goes the further that you prep, and yeah, you know, from my end, Ali would Ali's very OCD with details. What makes him a great coach? But he would message me, and he would say, "Mate, I'm fucking raging." Um, um, I'm spilled over. I looked so much better last week. And I'd message him saying, no, Ali, you look exactly the same as last week, if not better. And he'd go off massive essays, message back and forth. And I would just send a screenshot comparison of last week and this week. And I'd say, shut up. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 maybe see what you mean now. Or was it the week after? You're like, mate, I'm so flat. Oh, my God, blah, blah. And I went, mate, you're full. Here's here's Thursday, here's today. And you'd go, oh, yeah, see what you mean. But... That in itself, and, and your mind, can I'm sure play about with your sugars, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're over assessing everything, your sugars will because you get if you get amped up, you get stressed. They just go up. But I think what the reason that happens is so from as you say from a coaching perspective, I am so detail driven because that's how you get results. You want to know everything about everything. But next year when I prep. I'm going to literally just not do any of that. Because almost what was happening was I, was, I wasn't looking at myself in every detail, but I was just pulling random ones out because it was happening. 
So as Vaughn says, I get a bit. Although that's the best prep I've had. So every year you're going to improve. Best look I've had. So next year is only going to be tighter. But uh, yeah, as you say, when you get stressed, it just goes absolutely yeah. all over the place. It might be worthwhile us saying as well. One thing we fail to realise until show number two or three that the the tan is usually got a sugar coat base, sugar coat based. So, like you did to anyone listening, just if they're doing the pin prick on the finger, a bit of uh, plaster. That's what you done, right? Uh, yeah. It made yeah. fuck all difference, so did it? Your sugar, your blood, sugar, sugar still went. No, I made. I think one of the girls told me it's sugar based, and the other girl told me it wasn't. But yeah, you've just got to get to the point where you're more relaxed, which obviously saying that to someone is not the easiest thing. But that just comes with time. Also, the more I do it, the more we've got data for new diabetic clients we work with, which yeah. is great. It's worthwhile as well uh, telling people that you know we couldn't use Clen or T3. Yeah, so um, I'm on anabolics. They work fine. But when we add in things like, so Clen, what happens is as soon as you add that in, your sugars, well, personally, I'm sure other diabetics can use it, my sugars just drop so much that we have to add in more food and it kind of, any benefit you're getting is outweighed. Yeah. With um, T3s, and I, we didn't really look into this too much because we literally chilled them for a few days, yeah. but my sugars just went through the roof. So I was fasting just to see what would happen. I would fast for like a whole day and my sugars were just right up and it was the T3s doing it. So as soon as we pulled them out, sugars flat like flatlined again. So there will be a reason for it, but obviously we've not looked into it too much. But it was really interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, like the cleanse is an obvious one. It's a massive increase, increase in sympathetic drive, a massive increase in rest and heart rate. The T3, we'll find out, and next podcast we do, we'll probably chat about it. But you could equally have someone out there who's a male bodybuilder that uses both those as diabetic and it's fine. Again, as you said, exactly. it's inter-individuality, person-dependent. Now, exactly. If there's someone out there that perhaps does have diabetes and you know they want to change their physique um, but they're not unsure like of what to do, what would your advice be? Where should they start maybe when it comes to managing their sugars around training or something? Yeah, so I'd say just in general, so I'll break it into a gem pot and uh, like just normal people who want to feel better about themselves that are diabetic and then people who want to compete. So it's simple. It's the same as everything. You, if you want to get good at something, you have to do it over and over again. So the data is important. So now I've got this monitor. When I scan my sugars, it's great because it's got a spreadsheet. So I know where I am. And any clients that use it, looks just where on it, his controls far better. So I'd say to people, be over the top with it for your first eight months. And then you can sort of slow it down. So check your glucose way more than you are. Check your glucose pre and post so you know what the carbohydrates are doing as you train. Are you spiking? Are you dropping? Anything like that. Don't be scared of insulin because a lot of people are really scared of it because obviously it can make you hypo, but it's if you know how to control it, you're fine. Also, keep data. So I've got a sheet that uh, somewhere on my laptop that I know from last prep what carbs worked better than other carbs with my blood glucose. Most people can't tell you that because they don't, well, they don't know, they don't check. Um, Also remember when you eat more crap, your sugars are going to be all over the place because of the high fat content and just how the the carbohydrates are releasing. So, because they might be slow and fast depending on what you're eating. So it's just about collect data. And I guess what we should do is probably open the floor and say anyone listening that has type 1 diabetes, if you are into training, you want to change your physique and everything Ali has said has resonated with you, reach out to him and he'll jump on a, a sort of free 20-minute consultation Zoom call for you. And and as long as you have data, you know, are you happy to help those people out there? Yeah. Even even without data, I can I can advise on how to do it. There's two, two really big ones that I want to say and this is... My diabetic nurse always says this, and it's so true. If you've done enough insulin for the carbohydrates you've ate and your sugars go up, don't do more because carbohydrates tend to work a bit faster than your insulin. So don't worry if it spikes a little bit. 
if you're diet, type 1 diabetic, that will happen. You see people a lot take more and then they just crash. That would be a big one. The other one is when you're training, don't worry if sugars go up a little bit because there's this wonderful thing that helps muscles contract. Glycogen. Yeah. Glycogen in theory is just sugar or fast-acting carbs. So that going into your system will bring it up slightly. That's not because your control is bad. Don't worry, it'll come back down. Good, good. Now, I think you kind of have answered everything that, that anyone has questions within their head. Um, something off topic, I ask this to everyone, and even though it's you, um, and I'll probably know this, bodybuilding aside, anything, your biggest lesson that you have learned in life to date, and what advice would you give someone from that? So I think, as I said, we've both been working in the industry for, let's say, six years, seven years. I'd say bodybuilding, body composition, life, relationships, business. Probably the best lesson I've learned is you have to do the work. No one else can do it for you because you've never been like this, but I probably have when I've been PTing in the past. And I'm like, why am I not busy? And it's because I'm sitting in the staff room saying, why am I not busy? Whereas now we both know that even the best people on earth still work harder. And it's the same with prep. It's the same with, at the end of the day, when you get lean and you're like, fuck's sake, I don't look as good as I want to, it's only you that you've got to blame. So I think that applies to business and everything in between. Yeah. I mean, every every time I diet, maybe not this time around, but every time for the past four years, I've always went, I thought it was bigger than this. (laughs) and that's even with putting in as much work as we do but you get content with just knowing well we're better and that's the same thing with business and with knowledge that okay five years ago we used to think that a kettlebell was the thing that you needed to drop body fat and that starvation mode was the thing now we don't think that we're not by any means experts at the other end of the scale but we've improved and we're better. And those sort of results that we get, our clientele, the, the changes that happen within their life, I think ultimately reflect that. So I think you've hit you've hit the nail on the head, my man. Um, now, on you go. I was just going to say two things, right? First of all, because loads of my mates ask, why, why do I work with Vaughn? Because they're like, he's got dodgy catchphrases and stuff. But what people <laughs> don't realise is, so when I was in Australia, I took a year out uh, PTM or coaching. I was in Australia and I was basically in my head trying to think of everything I could do that wouldn't be coaching. So working in office, I don't know, I was maybe going to take up fishing or something. But Vaughn was on prep and literally every day he would say to me, mate, you need to come back because I need more atmosphere in the gym. I need someone who's going to push me. And I kept thinking, ah, do you know what? It's not for me. And then I came back and I was like, oh, look, Vaughn's doing all right. And what you've got to remember is you need someone, both of us, and it works, you need someone to be chasing or someone that you need that atmosphere. If you're a coach and you're sitting there and you're just worried about not being busy, find someone busier and go nip their head. Find out why they're busier. Yeah, I I did that. Like, I've hired, <laughs> co- I've, I've hired coaches to nip their head. Like, James Sutton, if he's listening to this, on a 30-minute weekly call for 25 minutes, it was about anatomy, biomechanics, and business. And then it was five minutes of, hey, mate, how's your food been? Yeah, it's fine. What do you want me to do with it? Oh, put it up. Cool, sweet. See you next week. And I get, like, and this is one of the reasons I'm always honest. It's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm fucking happy that I left Pure because that sort of environment, in any sort of commercial gym, it is full of trainers that want to just earn a wage. Right? And that's nothing against anyone that wants to do that if you want to do that, you're in the wrong fucking industry, right? The, the industry that we're in is that people are paying us money to help level, like change their life and level up their physique. So if in between clients, you want to go sit and play fucking Candy Crush in between clients and not work on your business and not work on your physique and not work on your clients, don't sit there and complain that you ain't getting busier and life ain't that good. And when a coach like yourself or someone else around that you know, you are the average of the people you spend the most time with. It break pulls them down. But someone like yourself, you have you hold your standards to a, another level that will bring everybody up, up, else up around you. But the thing is, 
as you said, you still need someone to level you up, and I still need someone to level me up. So we're we're looking okay. to other coaches that are online within our same sort of same circle to be like right. And here's the thing I like is that when you get to this sort of level, there's no bitterness. Like Rob Rob LRF, you message me every other day. We'll speak about business. We'll speak about this and the next thing, and like you'll be complimentary and vice versa. Or, or try this, try that. Or I got this idea from you, and it it's great to see companies or coaches support each other. But I think as well in the industry, what's great when you get to when you're getting higher up. Obviously, we are not LRF, but we're we're trying to catch them. But what's great about it is people will refer on to other people yeah. because someone might not have space or not they might not want to work with that person but they might say these guys are good for it and I think that's as you say there with the it's one of those things like I still work in Pure Gym but for anyone wondering who's not from Dundee by the way it is the only gym in Dundee (laughs) Uh, what you do see is people are comfortable with it but you don't fucking get anywhere being comfortable it's boring I like targets I don't want to be even if I'm sitting there feeling comfortable and I'm doing okay, that's boring. I want to see how many people I can prep for a show. I want to see where my business can go. So you always need to have something, the end game. Like, where do you want to be in 20 years, not where do you want to be next month? Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, right? People people have been asking about the business and this and the next thing, where it's going, what we're doing. And I just say to people, listen, I've got a five-year plan. I'm working backwards from it. It's as as simple as that. And when you do that, the process becomes easier. But you'll know just as much as I do. When we first started at Beer Gym, we weren't bothered about what we were doing five years. We just wanted to, like, still have a a kebab and a bevy at the weekend. But just our priorities are a bit different right now. You know, like, especially when you've got to pay for a mortgage, an UBM, um, and a wedding. Yeah. I've got to pay for none of those things, but. Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. Maybe Robin's listening. She's probably going to give you some hassle after this. Uh, Robin's not listening, but shout out to Robin. Um, <laughs> right, I'm well aware of time. Um, tell tell everyone where they can contact you, my man. So you can follow me on my Instagram. Um, so that is Ali Burge underscore VW Physique. Um, you can also follow my Facebook page, which is just Ali Burge Coaching. Um, I've not changed it yet for some reason. Also, you can find all our stuff on the website, um, which is on both of our Instagrams and the YouTube channel. We have got a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of months in terms of content, execution videos, articles, and everything in between. So watch this space because we've got some fucking cool things happening. Yeah. I think that that is a good place to finish. Um, I think it's a good introduction of... You know who Ali Burge is, and the, the fact that he isn't as much of a reprobate as he appears from visuals. Um, so, whatever you're doing out there um, this weekend, hopefully you're not smashed by the coronavirus um, and you're not having to self isolate. Um, if you do manage to get to the gym, make sure that for me and Ali, you give it the beans.